Good morning, KVC. It's so good to be with you, whether it's on video or in person. Matter of fact, as uh, you are watching this this morning, I will be flying into Jomo Kenyatta at about 10.30 this morning. And then the following Sunday, June 5th, I will be with you live and in person and I can't wait. Uh, Pam and I have deeply missed our family, missed each and every one of you, and we look forward to being together. Now, there's a couple of things that uh, I just want to share with you um, concerning what's happening right now. So obviously this Sunday, we're just online, but next Sunday, June 5th, we'll be back at WNS but we're going to be at 4.30 to 6 on the tennis court in the upper part of WNS. Now, I know it's not the most ideal time. I know most people, when you think of gathering as the church, you think about Sunday morning, but this is just temporary. This is just for maybe six or a few more weeks more of this time. Then we go back to 10 a.m. So here's what I'm asking as your pastor, if you remember me as your pastor, is that we stay focused, committed to what God has called us to do, to gather together and to celebrate, to testify, to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to work in our hearts and lives. And the Word of God is open because it's alive and active. Now, I know things will interfere with that time. I totally understand and get it. But if you're just at home, I'm encouraging you to come and to gather together. Also, just because we're at that time and you're not able to be with us, don't forget your giving. Don't forget to, to live that generous life because the needs in our body continue to go on. So I'm looking forward to seeing you live. The second thing is I want to say thank you to the people in our body that gave specifically for the rent of the tent and uh, labor and transportation. We're not quite there yet. So if the Lord's laying on your heart to write a check or do in PESA, uh, please do just put for tent. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're almost there, but we still need some more. Uh, you guys are the best. So generous when there is a time of need. And then the last thing is just a quick update. Uh, Pam is doing great. Uh, this last week, we saw our PA for her shoulder. The staples were removed. He said it looks great. Um, then we met with the infectious disease doctor, said everything looks good. She'll have the pick line removed, I believe on the 3rd of June. And then on the 10th, she'll be coming back home to be with me and you also. It's been a year, almost a year and a half journey. But Pam and I want to say thank you for your words of encouragement, your gifts at just an unreal time, uh, for just the scriptures and all the encouragement. 
You guys are the best. And I'm not just saying that because I'm your pastor. I'm saying it as you ministered to us in some of our deepest times of need. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I can't wait to hug you all and, uh, and be a part again and jump back into what God is doing. He's been speaking to my heart when I get back after we finish this Jonah series. There's some specific messages that I want to bring concerning where I believe God wants us to go and the kind of church God wants us to be. And so I'm excited about this this time. And, uh, you know, five months without preaching, you know, my batteries are fully charged. So I'm ready to, to get with it and go. So open your Bible to Jonah chapter two and uh, or your smartphone or tablet. And we're going to be looking at chapter two of Jonah today. So let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for this day, and Lord, even though we're online, we gather by the power of your Holy Spirit. Where distance may separate us, your Holy Spirit brings us together in real time. You, Father, are the author of life. You're the perfecter of our faith. And Lord, when we hit bumps in the road, you're there, that you never leave us nor forsake us. And though the world is shaking and quaking and walking in fear as believers today, we can say we know whom we, we serve. We know our God is able and we know that we are Trump triumphant, that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. So we thank you, Father, for this day. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate your word that as the word is read, it, we know it will not return back to you void, but will accomplish it, all of its purposes. So today, Holy Spirit, accomplish everything that you want to do in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever done something um, that you were told not to do? Or have you been told to do something and you didn't do it? Uh, I think we all would be guilty of that. As I was preparing my sermon for chapter two, I'm reminded uh, as a boy, my mom used to make homemade chocolate chip cookies. Uh, that They were so good. And uh, my brothers and I, my mom would always tell us, boys do not eat or touch any of the cookies. This is for later. Well, I was the middle child, so sometimes I wouldn't obey. And so after mom would leave the kitchen, I would sneak back in and I'd eat one cookie. Well, maybe two or three. And as I'm eating that last one, mom would usually come in and she would scold me and she would say to me, Craig, I told you, you disobeyed me. And there's consequences for your disobedience. And because I got caught, I was sorry. I wasn't truly repentant because I knew once mom got done with being mad, and I know, knew every, when everything got calm again, 
if those cookies were still laying out, I would sneak back in and get them. Don't you have a terrible pastor? And it wasn't truly repentance, it was just being sorry. And I want us to kind of look at chapter two with fresh eyes. Many of the commentaries I read saying, yeah, Noah, uh, Jonah is repenting. He's crying out to God in chapter two, but is he really? Is it more of a head prayer than it is a heart prayer? Does he really mean what he's saying? So we want to take a look at that and uh, put application into our lives, into our prayer lives. The words do that we say, are they just head knowledge, knowing the right things to say, the religious things to say, or is it truly our heart? And you see, when it's just a head thing, it doesn't produce change in our behavior. But true repentance brings about sorrow, which brings about change in our behavior and our actions. So God tells Jonah to go, as we looked at in chapter one. He wanted them to go, him to go to Nineveh to preach to the Ninevites so that they might be saved. Well, Jonah, just like you and I, when we've been told or asked to go do something, he decides to disobey and goes the opposite direction. Instead of going to Nineveh, he hops on a boat and is going the other direction. And we looked at that last week. And in chapter two is kind of his deliverance. It's when the big fish vomits him out onto the shore. And there we read these, his prayer in Jonah chapter two. But I wanna ask four questions today. Number one, what do we need to know about the historical Jonah? Number two, what do the minor prophets indicate about Jonah, about his life, comparing him with some of the other minor prophets? Number three, what does the book of Jonah say about Jonah? And number four, what does his prayer show you and I about Jonah and about our own lives. So we're gonna dive in there. What, what do we know about the historical Jonah? Really, all we know about Jonah comes from 2 Kings 14. And he served as a prophet under Jeroboam II, who did what was wicked in the eyes of the Lord. He wasn't a godly king. He didn't follow the ways of the Lord. And like the other prophets that we read, the prophets would come to Israel and would rebuke them, would uh, chastise them for their sin and call them to repentance. We see Jonah kind of given this really an approval uh, prophecy to Jeroboam. And so Historically, he wasn't like Hosea. He wasn't like Joel, where he would call out the sin of the day, but he would buddy up 
to the king and prophesy what was good. Now, let me tell you something today. We hear a lot of people prophesying. We hear a lot of people saying they're prophets. But as believers, we need to know God's word. We need to know what the Lord is saying today. Not what a man is saying, but what does God's word show us and teach us so that we can follow God even though the prophets are saying this in our land. Over the last several years, there's been so many false prophecies where they say, thus saith the Lord, which in the Old Testament says, you prophesy and say, thus saith the Lord, and the Lord has never spoken. And that's why we need to have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Lord is doing. Number two question, what do the minor prophets indicate about Jonah? The historical context of Jonah includes more than just the book of Second Kings. It tells us more about him. And even Obadiah, which is the book before Jonah, gives us an idea, a picture of what was going on. Yes, there was evil in the land. Yes, there was uh, prejudice against other tribes and nations. And, uh, but yet Obadiah, Joel, uh, Amos, all these others proclaim and prophesy what the Lord is saying. And if you look at Joel compared to Jonah, you'll see that the hearts are totally different. Joel would hear the word of the Lord and he would proclaim it. Jonah chapter one, he runs. He runs from what God has asked him to do, actually commanded him to do, and he heads the other way. And we also see that he uh, was in a, on a boat with pagans, and the pagans sought God way before Jonah did. So, third question, what does the book of Jonah say about Jonah? You know, as we step into the story, as we stepped into it last week, we find a prophet who I believe after studying the second chapter has no evidence of true holiness or repentance or even the fear of the Lord. You know, when the ship was falling apart, it wasn't the fear of the Lord. He just simply told them, throw me over and the sea will subside. It wasn't on the boat. Jonah was not crying out to God. He was not begging for forgiveness. But it's interesting, the pagans were praying and seeking the Lord. And so we see that. And so in chapter one, he disobeys God again, and he flees from his presence. And then next, uh, next week, we'll be looking at chapter three. He goes to Nineveh, but he's ticked off. Basically, if you'll read the other prophets, they give long discourses on what God is saying. 
the need for repentance. They named the sin that is going on in Israel. They call for that repentance. But basically, Jonah gives five words that basically say this. It says, for 40 days, Nineveh, after 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Chapter 3, verse 4. That's it. And then he just waited outside the city, ready for God to destroy it. Where's the compassion? Where's the grace? You know what? Today, there are many believers that know God's word, and they use it as a tool. They use it as a weapon, but there's no compassion. There's no grace. There's no mercy in the midst of all this. And so he goes, and he's just waiting for God to destroy the city. The beauty of God's sovereignty, the beauty of God's mercy and grace, Nineveh comes to the Lord, and they're saved. But we don't see a joyous heart in Jonah. We see a prophet that's mad. And I think part of that is, and we've all experienced this, prejudice of other people, other tribes, other cultures, other nations. He was nationalistic. It was him. He didn't like Nineveh. It's like the Israelites on many other uh, foreign nations. There was this nationalistic pride. Listen, there is things that the Lord hates. Six, Proverbs 6 says, seven that are detestable, and it is pride. There is no one tribe, no one nation better than the other. God chose the Israelites as his people to bless them to be a blessing, but they missed it. As believers, God has chosen us. We're a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a peculiar people called out of darkness into his marvelous light, First Peter says. But not so we can gloat and say we're better than everybody, but so with the blessings we have received, we bless others. And so he disobeys God. He's not really repentant. And he only just says, well, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. He's just sitting outside the camp and he waits for their destruction. But again, because of God's grace, they are saved. Now the question is, and it's a question for you and I, how can a rebellious and bitter prophet offer such a beautiful prayer that we're going to see in chapter 2. How can he say all the right things, but what we're seeing and what we'll see even in chapter 4, I don't think his heart was there. But doesn't God say, my people honor me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me? Is that not true of us today? I know it's been true of me. That I've said the right things. I've spoken the right religious phrases. But my heart was a million miles away. What about you? You've said the right religious things. 
Wanasafiwe. Praise the Lord. Amen. We've said all those things, but where is our heart postured? Is it just religious sayings and trappings? Or is it really the Spirit of God that's working in our heart? He's filled with scriptures. His prayers are orthodox. But what about Jonah's heart? And really, as we're looking at chapter 2, the question I want you to go home today and this week to ponder is, where is your heart? Yes, we gather. Yes, we come together. We worship. We partake of communion. We pray for the healing of people, physical, emotional, spiritual. We offer salvation, the good news to people who are lost. But do we do them out of a sense of religious duty or because our heart burns within us to follow him? I suspect that Jonah was struggling. First, struggling with obeying God. Second, struggling with repentance. And third, struggling when a whole city repents and turns to God when he wanted them wiped out. He hated them. There are tribes that hate other tribes. The whites and the black, which has been very evident in our time here in the States. One fighting against another instead of taking God's word for what it says and believing it and walking in it. Now the last question is what does the prayer itself say about Jonah? In other words, while we're reading, let me grab my Bible. As we're reading Jonah chapter 2, a lot of people have read and said, oh, he was repentant. But was he really? And so real quickly, and I do mean quickly, I want to give you 12 reasons why I think the man Jonah drew near to God with his head and not his heart. First reason, Jonah never mentions repentance, sin, or wrongdoing. Notice verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answers me. Listen there. He's calling out of the Lord, not out of repentance, but out of distress. I'm in the belly of the fish. I almost drowned it. I'm in distress. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Now, when you read this, I want you to think through this. Did God cast him into the sea? Chapter 1 tells us, Noah says, throw me overboard and the storm will settle. It was Noah that said it. 
So Noah's trying to put back on God. You're the one that put through me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Now that's a key phrase there. He didn't say if you, there's a lot of comparison between Jonah and the book of Psalms. Waves and breakers, Psalms 42. Repentance, Psalms 32 and Psalms 51. And you compare the two, there's a vast difference. Yes, he cried out. Yes, he called out. But he was in distress, not because of the sin, but because he was thrown overboard and he was drowning and now he's in the fish. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Sounds like Psalm 40. You've brought us out of the muck and mire and put our feet upon a rock. You gave us a new song. You put a new song in our hearts, but he doesn't mention that. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple for those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I want you to think about this. It was the pagans praying in the midst of the storm. It wasn't the prophet, but yet because of his nationalistic pride, I'm a Jew, I'm better than you, he starts uh, railing on the pagans. Those who pay attention regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish. It vomited Jonah upon the dry land. So we want to look at these things. He, number one, he never mentions repentance, sin, or wrongdoing. Listen, just as I gave the illustration of me getting caught eating the cookies when my mom said no, it was not repentance because I would go back and do it again. I was sorry I got caught. He was sorry that he was in the belly of the well, but he didn't say, forgive me for my disobedience. And see, today we want to justify our sin. We want to gloss over and say, oh Lord, I'm sorry. I'm in stress. We even want to blame God. We say, God, you did this to me. You threw me over into the sea. When all along, when we look at our, our own lives and our sin in our lives, it was us. We chose to sin. Number two, his prayers is one of thanksgiving, not confession. At the end, he says, I give thanksgiving. But he should have been one of confession. Lord, I have sinned against you. Remember in Psalms, David, he says, create in me a clean heart. 
Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Psalms 139 says, search me and see if there be any wicked ways in me. We don't hear that from Jonah. There was no confession, but in the Psalms, you read that all throughout when there was sin in the life. Number three, the location of the prayer. It was in the belly of the fish. He mentions the word nearing Sheol. Sheol speaks of uncleanliness. Leviticus talks about death, 21, uh, Leviticus 21, 1 through 13. It speaks of uncleanness, and there is no, more, no word more associated with death than Sheol. And so he tells us, I'm at a place, it's death, it's unclean. And if he was knowing that as a Jew, he should have then said, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips and unclean heart, forgive me. Create in me that clean heart. Number four. Jonah speaks the words of scripture, but shows no signs of abiding joy in his, repent, in, in his uh, repentance or in his repentance. In other words, all the actions of the book, the disobedience, the anger, the hatred is contradicted by his words. Even when we deliver a word of the Lord, a prophetic word of repentance. And like Nineveh, when they repent, there should be joy. There should be celebration. There should be dancing. But yet that was not evident of Jonah. Number five, Jonah's disobedience jeopardizes his prayer. We see this first in the way he calls out to the Lord, but he hasn't obeyed God's command to, to call out to Nineveh in chapter 2, verse 2. The re, reuse of the same word call is striking. We see in Psalm 66, 18 teaches us that God does not listen the, to those who regard sin in their lives. Again, his heart was far away, but the words that he was speaking were right. Number six, Jonah blames God for his water ordeal. Verse three, you cast me over into the deep. You know, don't we do that? When we get caught with our hand in the cookie jar, don't we do the same thing? We blame somebody else. We don't take responsibility for our own life, our own sin. Remember in the garden, God says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And, and uh, you know, they had sinned. They were naked. And God says, what have you done? And, and they say, well, the serpent deceived us. Well, the woman deceived us. No, they chose to eat the fruit. And just like Jonah, he chose to go the opposite way of Nineveh. 
He chose, even though he did the correct thing and went to Nineveh and they repented, he was mad and angry. He was, he was upset because these people who are not Jews repented. And so he blames God for that. I want to ask you, how many times do you blame God? You know, we just lost another dear brother. We lost uh, Lee. We lost Gareth just the other day. And I hear Christians, why did God take his life? Why did God do this? And the why questions, when God's not so con much concerned as the why is, do you know me? Do you know who I am? Do you know my character and my nature? You see, we always have to find someone to blame for our own sin. And part of that today for you and I is we have to take responsibility for that sin. That sin. Jonah, number eight, Jonah confesses he will see God's temple again. Chapter two, verse four. It's interesting. He's it, the, the temple in Jerusalem. He's not even near Jerusalem. And it's not a matter of going to the temple. It's a matter of God's presence. And there's so many other scriptures I'd like to give you in this, and maybe I can share my notes later, but we just have to understand, again, if I just get to the temple, I'll be okay. And it's not about getting to the temple, it's about being in his presence for you and I, because we are the temple of God. And the fact that he said, if I was just going to the temple of Jerusalem, he wasn't even near it. I think he was more near Dan and Bethel. And so you and I, we can make excuses. If I, if I just did this with God, if, if I just went back to church again, which by the way, you should be back in the gathering and the assembly of the believers. Bible says not to forsake the assembly, but we've allowed COVID to cheapen God's word, allowed us to no longer be a disciple, but to be a casual follower. And so even makes excuses, if I was just in, if I could just see God's temple in Jerusalem, it'd all be better. We do the same thing today. Number nine, the second mention of the temple is odd given the confusion where Jonah is. And that's what I just said. He sees himself as loyal to the Lord to the very end, despite his disobedience. It's really an indicator of Jonah's true spiritual blindness. He wasn't even close to, to Jerusalem. It was more closer to Dan and Bethel. Number 10, Jonah's denouncing of idol worship sounds legitimate in verse eight of chapter two. But on, if you look at it closer in the context of chapter one and what he's speaking in chapter two, it's fraudulent. 
Because again, as I've said earlier, the pagans were the ones praying, seeking God and asking, why is this happening to, to us? It wasn't the prophet. It wasn't Jonah. But again, I believe it's because of that natural, nationalistic pride. He thought he was something special because he was a Jew. And we, saw, we see that happening as we go farther along in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. Remember the prayer of the Pharisee and the sinner? They go up to the temple. The Pharisee says, I thank you that I'm not like this person. I thank you that I tithe, that I fast, that I da 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 da. And it says the sinner would not even look up, but just would beat his breast and said, forgive me, I am a sinner. What about you? There's a lot being preached on TV, on YouTube, you know, be the better you. Um, you are the best, you are the greatest. You know, and it's all about self-exaltation. It's all about self instead of dying to self and coming alive to Christ. One of the series when I come back that I want to preach is uh, service in a selfie world. I want to talk about service. I believe God, one of the things at KVC is that everyone is a servant. Everyone is serving. Everyone is a part of the body and each part is valuable so that the body might be built up. Number 11. Jonah's confident words of self-dedication in verse 9 ring hollow. Let's look at that. Verse 9. Verse 9 says, But with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds righteous. But what he should have said, but with the voice of my heart, I cry out to you, forgive me, O God. Create in me a clean heart. My heart is deceitfully wicked. I have disobeyed your word, but instead I'm giving prayers of thanksgiving when it should have been prayers of repentance. And then lastly, Jonah 2 is not the only place where Jonah prays. As we'll look in Jonah chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he prays again. In Jonah chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he said, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says, do you do well to be hungry?
And I believe chapter four, again, points out to us the issue of the head versus the heart. Now, there's many other commentaries that will disagree with that, but I want to encourage you as you look at God's word, as you're reading through Jonah, to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And what I want to leave with you today is this. Jonah was a prophet. People looked at him as a man of God, but he sided with an evil king who did what was wicked in the eyes of the Lord. As a believer, and if you confess Christ, you cannot sit in the seat of the mockers or the scorners or the wicked. Psalms chapter 1. You have to choose who you're going to serve. You have to choose to walk the road that is narrow and few go that way, or the road that's wide that leads to destruction. When you sit and you speak the world's lingo, you act the way the world acts, you believe like the world believes, you're with the wrong crowd. Have you sided with a king or a person or a group that is wicked and does wicked in the sight of the Lord? Secondly, are your prayers from your heart or are they from your head? Are you truly repentant, number three, and confess your sin not be general, but specific with the Lord. You see, the Lord wants our heart. When he has our heart, he has all of us. And so next week, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, and then Morel finishes out with chapter 4, and then we'll uh, go on from there. But there's a lot in Jonah. The book of Jonah is a poetic book and there are so many levels in that book that God through his Holy Spirit can reveal to us. The fact that Jonah was in the belly of the well three days is an indication of Christ in the tomb. Everything in the Old Testament points to the reality of Jesus and Jesus came not not um, to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law so that we cannot, so that now we walk by grace. That love is the evident mark of our transformation, not just simply obeying laws and being dutiful. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. For your word, we ask God you continue to speak to our hearts. And Lord, we're all guilty. I know I am of speaking the right things, saying the right religious things, but my heart is far from you. Lord, even if I'm wrong when I speak, I want my heart to be right. So Holy Spirit, speak to us now as we follow you and we serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening today. 
I look forward to being with you next Sunday. Have a great week and let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you to touch people's lives this week. God bless.